You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Yes, and it's a surprise episode of Driving Law. We don't usually do one when it's a holiday Friday. Yes, we do. The very first episode of Driving Law was a holiday Friday. Oh, okay. So it's a surprise episode (laughs) because we didn't do one last week because we ran out of time. Every Easter, you're like, we don't normally do one on Good Friday, and yet every Easter we do one on Good Friday. Oh, what a gift to the listeners that we give to them on Good Friday. It's Good Driving Law Friday podcast. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, and... Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I I don't know if you're going to want to dedicate the entire episode of the podcast to it, but this is the reason for the special that I thought we were having the special special. I thought we were releasing it on Thursday because we're recording it on Wednesday. Well, we can do that too. We can prepare it on Thursday and release it on Thursday or Friday or Friday and Thursday or people release it on Thursday and people can listen to it Friday. Okay, so... Uh, Yes, we're going to dedicate an entire episode to one topic because, without warning, the B.C. provincial government has dropped Bill 23, 2023, the Motor Vehicle Amendment Act. Isn't it weird how all the Motor Vehicle Amendments Acts are always bills in the 20s? It's later in the session, maybe. Yeah, I guess. That could be the reason. Now... They're starting to get to some of those topics, things that they wanted to deal with. Now, Paul, of all the things that you would think maybe the B.C. government is amending the Motor Vehicle Act to deal with. Among the many things, the first thing you would think is the distracted driving law. Electronic device legislation. Could they make it clearer? Could they make it smarter? You wrote it for them. You published it. It's been an ongoing topic for a long time. Have they done anything about that? No. No. There's nothing in there as far as I could see. Were they going to amend the Motor Vehicle Act maybe to address big screen technology in cars and distractions that come from in-car screens? And this is something that people bring up every time. Every time you're on the Mike Smith show or I'm on the Mike Smith show, people always phone in. There's the Teslas with the big screens and there's all these big screens and you see people with their large screens in their cars. Any legislation to change that or address that here in the... Motor Vehicle Amendment Act of 2023? Nope. No. Yeah, so what does Bill 23 actually do? That's what we're going to go through. In our special special of specials. All right. Uh, Paul's drunk. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm today. not drunk. It's just after hours. It's the end of the day. We're usually recording this in the afternoon. Um, there's lots in here, and it's uh, it's quite surprising and strange to see it. Um, and I think probably the first thing we should talk about is... Bicycles? Bicycles. Uh, bicycles have now been... Um, elevated. Elevated, special defined, special status, uh, all sorts of different... Um, Regulation with respect, not so much regulating bicycles as regulating everybody else in relation to bicycles. Yeah, so it's basically the cyclists can do whatever the fuck they want legislation because it requires drivers to, if you're passing a bicycle, 
keep at least one meter distance passing the bicycle, but it does not require the cyclist to ride as far right as practicable or to be riding lawfully at all in order to get the benefit of people giving them a one meter berth. Uh, it basically permits a cyclist to hog a lane and not be passed. And you also can't ride within three meters of the rear of a person on a bicycle. Again, you know, in rush hour traffic, cyclists on Kingsway, sometimes they feel very entitled to take the entire right lane to themselves, backing up traffic. I know roads in Vancouver, particularly Point Grey Road, where people just seem to walk down the middle of the road. Um, and it's a funny thing because certain parts of the times of the year when there's like a marathon or something like that, they block it off and people run down the road. And then for some reason, despite the fact that there's a two and a half meter sidewalk on the north side and your standard little bit larger meter and a half sidewalk on the south side, people just walk down the road. Well, um, now you cannot be driving down the road in closer to them than a person on the road than is reasonably prudent. Yep. That is the new legislation. It hasn't passed yet, right? No, Let's, this is just this tabled. Is tabled legislation. Yep. But uh, legislation in the provincial level, when the government's got a majority, what's the passes. legislation that's tabled just ends up passing. So just assume that this is coming the moment that it passes. Now, the other really interesting thing in relation to cyclists is they get a certain classification that also applies to people who are pedestrians um, and people who are in other sort of vulnerable positions on the road. Well, there's a new classification for vulnerable road users, and there's new classifications as well, new um, descriptions of pedestrians. Um, yeah, they define a pedestrian as a person who is uh, in or on a vehicle, or sorry, not in or on a vehicle, a cycle, uh, or other device. Or on an animal. You're or not on, on an animal. Yeah. You don't owe a lot of duties, apparently, to people on horses in, in these amendments. Sure. Or, or if you're riding a bear. <laughs> Whatever you animal that you happen to be on, it takes you away from being a pedestrian. Yeah. Um, um, if you're on something that is... Uh, um, capable of being propelled by human power, though, that isn't a bicycle, then you are a pedestrian. So, skateboarders? Pedestrian. Rollerbladers? Pedestrian. People riding analog scooters? Kick scooters? Pedestrians. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Because you can't actually ride those on the sidewalk under many city bylaws. Yeah, and same with the mobility scooter, which has been a problem, right? You see people who just ride their mobility scooter down the road. Sometimes I'm driving down 4th, uh, where it becomes, uh, well, I guess it becomes 6th for a while. Um, the uh, in Just uh, between sort of Kitsilano and Mount Pleasant, sort of between um, Granville Bridge and, uh, and um, Canby Bridge. And it's a fast-moving road. It's 50 kilometers an hour, but it's a fast-moving road. And every once in a while, there's somebody just driving a mobility scooter right down the right-hand lane. Um, obviously, you everybody has always just yielded to those people before because you have no choice. You know, you don't want to. You'd be negligent if you had an accident with them. Um, now, and 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 
if you drove in a manner that was threatening to them, you would be driving without due care and attention. Um, so 144, 1B of the Motor Vehicle Act. But now this is like they are defined and there's some specific, still not clear because it speaks of reasonably prudent, but some more specific definitions here. Well, it'll be interesting to litigate um, in traffic court if tickets are issued, what constitutes a reasonably prudent driver in relation to that. Um, I mean, we're talking not about like a strict or absolute liability um, offense any longer. Like there's actually a mens rea component. So, Yep. So let's talk about vulnerable road users because this is a definition that ends up popping up a few times. In the, uh, in the new provisions that are introduced. A, a pedestrian. B, a person who is on a cycle. Or C, the government's favorite, a prescribed person. So that could be something that comes up in regulation. But again, vulnerable road user also uh, sucks into this definition, this definition of pedestrian. So anybody who's on a skateboard, you're going to be protected as a vulnerable road user. Um, somebody who's on a kick scooter, vulnerable road user. It's not clear about electric scooters, however, and a lot of that's going to be left to regulation. Now, there's also an interesting thing because although this act or this amendment act is only purporting to amend certain sections of the Motor Vehicle Act, by amending the definition of pedestrian, it actually has an incidental effect on all sorts of other sections of the act. For example, like you can't um, turn, uh, make a turn if there's a pedestrian in the crossing, but now this would also include all these other people, including people who are violating city bylaws that you wouldn't otherwise reasonably expect to be in a pedestrian crossing. It's funny because one of the changes that I think should have been addressed here is the countdown timers at pedestrian crossings, right? We see people jumping into the intersection when they don't even have enough time, but they know they'll be blocking the traffic and well, people aren't going to run them down. Technically, under the Motor Vehicle Act, you're not permitted to enter the intersection with the countdown timer on. Sure, but you're about to turn right, and somebody on the other side of the street you know, decides to step into the crosswalk, and you're halfway into it, and they step into it on, the, you know, on a red light, um, or when the pedestrian timer is down, and, and you would otherwise, you know, could safely go, but you can't enter that intersection and you have to defer to the vulnerable road user at all times. They don't turn around to go back to the sidewalk, right? You're just stuck there. All right. Should we move on from cycles and vulnerable road users? I think we should move on to... There's some exciting stuff here. Yeah, There's ahead. some stuff I'm really excited about. Yeah. First of all, because um, I think this will take less time, we might be the first province in Canada to have regulations about self-driving vehicles. Self-driving vehicles, and not just self-driving vehicles. Categories of them. Robots, just robot vehicles. So there is one definition that is introduced here uh, in the new section one. So first we have the new definition of cycle. Uh, it's not bicycle anymore, it's a cycle. The next definition is Designated micro utility device. And what did you think of when you read that, Kyla? I thought it was like those those electric scooters or like those electric unicycles, things like that. I thought, yeah, those really small kick scooters. I mm -hmm. thought, or yeah, the uh, the little single wheel ones. 
-hmm. or maybe powered skateboards. I thought that could have been it. But no, you get into it and it gets a little bit weird. Let's see if I can find it here. Gets a little (laughs) weird. It's so spooky. Like this legislation is clearly trying to stay, you know, maybe taking up some of the criticism I've made of the Motor Vehicle Act about how far behind technology it is by trying to get ahead of existing technology. So there is a definition of a designated micro utility device. uh, And um, it's, I'm sorry, there is not a definition. The definition is still going to uh, come, I think, in some other form, but it speaks of, um, of, uh, the restriction on it. And it says, of course, that they may designate it. The lieutenant governor and council may prescribe a device that is a designated micro utility device. But then it says the criteria. And that's when you discover it's a robot. Um, and in fact, it's a robot that you may have seen if you've been to some U.S. cities in the last little while. Austin? Sure. The device A is designated to be self propelled. So it is designated for that. B, the device is designed for the purpose of delivering goods or providing services and is not designed to transport persons. Little Amazon delivery robots. The device C is automated or remotely controlled and capable of performing dynamic driving tasks without direct human assistance. The device is not capable of exceeding a prescribed rate of speed. The device has a weight and height that's somewhere, it doesn't really say, not exceeding prescribed. And then must meet, again, it says, meet other prescribed criteria. So, of course, the lieutenant governor and council gets to prescribe the devices, and they are prescribed devices, but these are self-driving delivery robots. That's cool. Cool if I get my Amazon packages faster and more reliably, I'm not exactly going to be complaining. I don't know. You know, I've seen these things in other cities. I've also seen them blocked and I've seen lots of videos on TikTok and things like that of robots being held up. Uh, the funniest one was some guy who like, you're going to get out of my way, robot. And he started arguing with the robot. You're going to get out of my way. I'm a, I'm a human. You're a robot. And ultimately, he walks around that robot to the robot behind to yell at the robot behind, but he was the one who got out of the way. Um, People who are uh, not happy about seeing robots driving around on the street may have some problem with it. Um, Our streets are already kind of, and sidewalks in Vancouver at least, are already kind of clogged. Oh my God. We'll see what happens. Robots. Did AI write this Motor Vehicle Act to make it easier for robots to take over the world? Just a matter of time. <laughs> um, and then there's part 12.1, automated vehicles. And this defines automated vehicle as a motor vehicle with an automated driving system. Drive being to operate the motor vehicle with or without the automated system being engaged. It means a system that performs dynamic driving tasks to operate the vehicle with limited or no need for any dynamic driving task to be performed by a human driver. Full-on automation. But interestingly, because the automated vehicle includes a vehicle that drives with or without the automated driving system being engaged, Teslas that currently have like up-to-date programming do have automated driving capability in their software. And this is going to be an issue of, of um, it being prescribed by the Lieutenant Governor and Council. So in other words, a regulation. Yeah. So... Um, the 
automated vehicles are, are categorized in three levels, which weirdly start at level three. I'm assuming somewhere there's going to be a level one and level two for like those delivery little vehicles um, at some point, like perhaps in regulation. I would imagine that uh, there will be experiments in communities like um, Qualcomm and places like that. Oh, for sure. There's like a whole bunch of pilot project uh, legislation in this bill that basically allows the government to do whatever the fuck it wants in pilot projects and ticket people and then ignore mandatory minimum fines if people are ticketed as part of pilot projects. Yeah, there's a whole like half of this legislation is setting up to deal with pilot projects, which is pretty advanced that they're thinking about it. I'm giving some credit there, right? Yeah. So... Level 3 automated vehicle is a vehicle with an automated driving system capable of operating at the driving automation level named and defined under the SAE standard as Level 3 conditional driving automation. These are international standards um, for uh, taxonomy and definitions for terms related to driving automation systems for on-road motor vehicles. So interestingly, only the only place in the Motor Vehicle Act that we currently incorporate international standards you see other motor vehicle acts, for example, the Yukon Motor Vehicles Act incorporates international standards when it comes to tinted windows and the level of tint. Sure, but we don't generally do that. We don't generally in do it. Yeah. So, but we are, we're moving outside our borders, which is kind of neat. Level four is an automated vehicle with a system that's capable of operating at the driving level under the SAE standard as level four. And level five is... SAE standard level five. So we're basically just incorporating the same standards, three, four, five. I don't know why I want not one and two, but we start there's at three. Some reason, <laughs> there's some reason the government knows and we don't. And the first thing that they do once they've created regulations and, and, and laws around automatic vehicles, prohibit them. Well, I mean, this seems to be facilitating the introduction of them or the unfolding of them. I don't yes. think it's an issue of just prohibiting them. Yeah, I mean, and right now. And of course, they're setting it up to it be says, able to It says, unless the regulations provide otherwise, a person must not drive or permit the driving of any of the following on a highway, a level three, four, or five automated vehicle. And then the next section is regulations respecting, which essentially says that the lieutenant governor and council can create regulations respecting automated vehicles, including... Who can use them, who can drive them, who can operate them, who can be passengers in them, who can own, rent, or lease them, uh, who can, uh, like the reporting obligations for accidents and other types of things, safety measures, and education and training, uh, and also create requirements to have permits and special insurance. So you know what is actually going to be coming, Paul? No. What? We're going to have to, if we want self-driving cars or want to be in self-driving cars, take a self-driving car exam and get a self-driving car license and pay for self-driving car insurance. There you go. Makes sense. More uh, and money. there's going to be, well, no, there's going to be lots of people who don't want to drive. I know people who've never wanted to drive, people who don't drive, but they might be willing to get into a self-driving car. If the self-driving car is a self-driving Uber that shows up at their house and then they are sort of quasi-responsible for it from that point on. So who knows? Who knows? That's an interesting thing. Now, I want to move on to something that I think is going to be controversial. Oh, yeah. And I've got to tell you, I don't know, Kyla, how, do you, feel about, about how do you feel about freedom? <laughs> it depends. Are you asking anti-vaxxers how I feel about freedom? Well, here's the I thing. I like freedom. Here's the thing. I like freedom and I like my truck. 
Um, <laughs> and I have more than one truck. Paul, Republican Party candidate, 2029. Yeah, I love freedom, but I love my truck. Um, and uh, I have to tell you, this uh, next thing is really, really going to get a lot of people when it comes to their conception of freedom and their concern about government overreach. Yeah, what, because who was the convoy made up of again? Truckers? Mm-hmm. Well, well Section 146.1 of the uh, Motor Vehicle Act is going to now have speed limiters required for certain commercial vehicles. This is any heavy commercial vehicle manufactured after 1994, which is pretty much most of the ones on the road right now. Yep, and you're going to have to have a speed limiter. A commercial speed limiter will have to be installed. And working. And functioning. So a motor vehicle manufactured after 1994 that has a gross vehicle weight rating more than 11,000 793 kilograms and has an electronically controlled engine and meets any other prescribed criteria must have a speed limiter including programs components to make it function that will prevent the motor vehicle from accelerating to or maintaining a rate of speed exceeding a set rate of speed so big trucks be 120 obviously 120 kilometers an hour maximum yep um, and, um, actually it might be less than 120 cause a lot of the, um, Coca-Cola and stuff now has a truck speed limit. They might set it at a hundred across the province. They might make all those trucks can only go 90 across the province for the purpose of meeting carbon targets. Maybe they'll finally stay out of the safety. fucking left lane. <laughs> um, well, they didn't, they didn't add any regulation to that. Uh, and uh, there's lots of new police powers to enforce so this. Oh, crazy. So the police powers are wide-ranging. The police effectively have the right to pull over any heavy vehicle for the purposes of inspecting the vehicle to determine whether it, A, has a speed limiter and whether the speed limiter is, B, working. And the police do not need a warrant. They do not need reasonable grounds. They are entitled to enter the vehicle and search the vehicle without grounds. They are entitled to recover data from the speed limiter. Yep. They are entitled to, to seize the vehicle without, again, warrant for testing. Yep. Um, there doesn't appear to be a limit on that. So can they seize the vehicle for six weeks for testing? Um, I, you know, that's probably a pretty days. bad overreach or something like that. And well, no, it doesn't, there's no limit in here. But the, but under the offense act, you would incorporate the provisions of the criminal code where there's, where there's uncertainty. So it would be 90 days and then you could 490 your vehicle back. Well, okay. Arguably under section 490. Yes. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the government would push back on that if it ended up in that circumstance. I mean, but, it's going to be CVSE doing all of this. Yeah, so. it's not going to be. They're not going to be they're sitting not there be flipping trained. through the criminal code. Yeah. So, so. temporarily seize uh, the vehicle and uh, a person must not interfere with, hinder, or obstruct a peace officer who is exercising a power under this section. So, but there's no specific offense created for it. Like, there's not a ticketable offense anywhere for hindering an officer. Now, I don't well, know. That's where the offense act is going to kick in, right? Yeah, like, I guess it's going to be that section will become a general offense and then it'll be like the general offense provisions of the offense act. Is it a crown laid information or is it a violation ticket? Um, when I look at section 24.1 and 24. 
two of their... But they all say it, commits an offense. Yeah, I know, but it still never explains it. And you never know which one it should be under for not presenting a valid driver's license. Anyway. Um, but yes, so uh, set rate of speed in a heavy truck. And uh, a lot of truck drivers are not going to like that. A lot probably will. And maybe there has been a hue and cry. I don't know. We get the odd truck that's driver charged with the speeding, but it's pretty infrequent for the most part. Most truck drivers are just doing their best to abide by the speed limit. I don't see that this was really something that necessary, but it's a creep, right? Um, lots of people are terrified about having your vehicle speed regulated. And I talk about it from time to time in Germany. The German car manufacturers by agreement, limit their top speed to 240 kilometers an hour. Only. Very fast. But if you buy a Jaguar and you're in Germany, you might be able to push that Jaguar. I know this because of a relative that to 300 kilometers an hour. Um, and, um, you know, there's a very good argument that you don't really need to go anything close to that. And there's a vehicle sold in Japan that are speed limited until you get to the track and GPS in the vehicle will then release the speed limiter uh, when you get to a designated uh, track where you can take that vehicle to a higher speed. This is uh, like serious, serious government control. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. Now, there's one more thing that I think we should all be cautiously optimistic about in this regulation, and perhaps we'll end our our discussion of the Motor Vehicle Amendment Act. Oh, sorry. There's two more things. Never mind. There's one small thing. Uh, you mentioned 144 earlier, and I thought, oh, now's a good time to slip it in, and then we didn't. Then you forgot. Yeah. Section 144 of the Motor Vehicle Act, which is the driving without due care and detention section, is being amended to add a specific provision to create an aggravating factor on sentencing if a person is injured or killed in a 144 offense. And we ordinarily see people ticketed for driving without due care and detention um, who are uh, ticketed in circumstances where there's an injury or a death, and they're looking at usually a fine and a driving prohibition sometimes from the court. There have been cases of people getting jail for it, but it's very, very rare. But now we have subsection 3 being added in, which imposes an obligation on the court to consider it an aggravating factor in sentencing, the fact that the commission of the offense causes death or bodily injury to a vulnerable road user, which I, I don't know, like I don't have a problem with saying it's an aggravating feature on sentencing that somebody got killed or injured when you drove carelessly, like fair enough. But to specifically make it about vulnerable road users when this would mean that it's not an aggravating feature legislatively if a person in another car dies or if your child dies in your vehicle with you because of your carelessness it's not an aggravating factor like i mean obviously a judge is going to consider it an aggravating factor but why do you have to distinguish between vulnerable and non-vulnerable road users in, in making it a statutorily aggravating factor that somebody died or was injured like they're there it, it almost feels like devaluing the lives of people who 
drive or occupy motor vehicles. I was thinking that too when I saw the vulnerable road user part. We've often commented, you know, we've defended people, a number of people over the years. Who Passengers been, in buses. Who have been charged with driving without due care and attention in circumstances where there was a death. Um, there's one notable reported decision that we often use uh, where the individual basically just looked down at their car stereo to turn the knob to change the volume and that was considered driving without due care and attention because in that circumstance they weren't paying attention at that moment that was necessary. Now, very low sort of culpability in that circumstance, but someone died. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult to balance that because the family of the deceased is always looking at it saying, this is ridiculous, there's no consequences for this person. But I think that this, and I'm going to approach this very cynically, is to address the fact that the conviction rate for this offense uh, of impaired driving in circumstances where there's a death has dropped dramatically in British Columbia since the immediate roadside prohibition scheme was introduced. And I think what they intend to do is to charge a lot more people with what I would say now is 144 causing death. And then seek a jail sentence. And then seek that jail sentence. Won't end up with a criminal record, but they'll get that that punishment that they can't get because they police have not conducted the investigation well in so many of these impaired driving causing death cases. Yes. So I'm looking at it cynically. This is a result of the IRP scheme. The police don't have those skills anymore. They haven't conducted those investigations as often as they used to. They tend to not know what they need to do in those death cases. And this is just allowing them to use the Motor Vehicle Act to get through the back door what they can't get through the front. Now, now can we end on a hopeful note? There's a hopeful note. A cautiously optimistic note, yes. Uh, Anybody who's been paying any attention to driving law-related issues in the last little while uh, has noted that the rules around motor-assisted cycles are stupid. They're undeniably stupid because they don't make any sense in a way that anybody without a legal education could actually understand or discern. There's shops out there that are selling these motor-assisted cycles that don't meet the definition, but they don't know, so they're marketing them as, you know, you don't need a license and you or don't need an Or insurance. they're trying to get it in a gray area and they're marketing it like, oh yeah, you can get you yes. can be prohibited from driving and still and ride still this, drive thing. this thing. It's got pedals on it, but you could take them off if you want. And the pedals yeah. don't really work, but maybe they work. And but the pedals aren't used for the purpose of propelling it. It's and the you... great thing is it looks just like a motorcycle. Yeah, <laughs> motorinos and things like that. So, you know, there's there's great confusion around it. A lot of people have been prejudiced by the confusion. And there's also problems because you can't actually get a license that would permit you to operate one of them on a roadway, nor can you purchase insurance for them. But this legislation purports to change the definition of motor-assisted cycle to make it, it looks like they're aiming to make it more broad by by allowing the government to regulate specific cycles as motor-assisted cycles um, or regulate um, things like the uh, engine output of the vehicles and things like that, but also sets up a mechanism to create a licensing and insurance scheme for motor-assisted cycles 
obviously there would have to be, you know, adaptations to ICDC and perhaps some Insurance Vehicle Act changes collaterally, but it does allow regulations to be made to create categories to purchase insurance or to exempt insurance for these types of things. So for those people who want to operate not a car on the road, maybe you will have some more options if this legislation passes. The other thing I would say about this legislation is legislation is tricky, right? Because instead of just writing a piece of legislation that says, this is what the Motor Vehicle Act is going to say after this date, and uh, you know, cross, putting cross out lines through the portions that are going and highlighting the new things, they actually do highlight the new things when they first publish the legislation for a while after it's been done. But you know, up until that point, it's usually this is struck out, this is replaced, section, you know, 129.6 sub B is replaced or struck out, and it's really hard to understand. This is a fairly clear piece of legislation, and it doesn't feel like it's filled with trickery. But what gives, though? Where where are the changes to electronic device laws? Mm. Like, yeah. seriously, what, what was, was what I wrote not good enough for you? Well, there's, you know, as we've said in the past, actually, this is upsetting for me because when you look at the, the Motor Vehicle Act amendments over the last 12 years, uh, after the IRP scheme was introduced in, in this time of the year in 2010, almost every change to the Act had our hand in it. Lots of the sections we could say, oh, that's the Kyla Lee Amendment. Oh, there's the Paul Doroshenko Amendment. Um, this is not us. These are not amendments because of us. Nope. Nope. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'd like to not be responsible for some legislative change for, <laughs> well, for a minute. I, I think we're at a point now where, you know, we don't have the entire government hating us. But we also don't have the entire government loving us. So, you know. I, I don't need to be loved. I have a desperate need to be loved. Oh, well, you have a dog, so... <laughs> All right. Okay. On that note, we're not going to have a ridiculous driver of the week this week because we've already used up our time on this very important issue, but everybody should be aware big changes coming to motor vehicle law in BC. This is probably the biggest amendment to the Motor Vehicle Act that we have seen since we started this podcast. So super exciting. And if you, well, I mean, we've seen some other big amendments, but they haven't been put into force in effect. Well, they're not as like fundamental. This is revolutionary. Well, there was the eliminating the... traffic court attempts that have never panned out. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the BC Liberals, and so long as they're not and the BC NDP. Well, yeah, they they backed away a little bit from that. Well, they haven't done it for good reason. Yeah, because I will be on them. <laughs> but you know, I'm just still waiting. You know, the funny thing is, we. Uh, uh, our April Fool's joke this year was that a self-driving car had been charged with impaired driving and that we were representing him and that we posted that on Twitter. A little bird had... Maybe had, they did write the legislation yeah. because of us. Well, it came out, of course, <laughs> after this. And I, Kyla and I both had some they were up all night. little tiny little bit of information that there was changes coming. So we were waiting. And then here it is, of course, here it is. But uh, so our, our April Fool's joke was uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> um, what ultimately we're seeing. So, Well, that's our podcast. If you need to reach us related to a driving law issue or if in the future you get caught under one of these new provisions and you need help, you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. <laughs> <laughs>